Good morning, OneChurch.tv. How you guys doing this morning? Fantastic. Thank you so much for hanging out with us on this fantastic Sunday morning uh, here in June. Uh, praise God. It is hot outside, but we have air conditioning in here. So, and if you're a regular with us, you know uh, that uh, one of the things that we many times struggle with meeting here in the school is not having air conditioning. And I, I am, it is safe to say we're going to have tons of air conditioning at the movie theater. So, uh, really excited about that. I got a couple of things I want to uh, just uh, tell you about. Um, we have printed new invite cards. Uh, one of the things that we encourage you guys to do is to pick up a bunch of cards and invite people to church. So as soon as you leave uh, onechurch.tv, the doors out here, you can pick up an invite card. We actually have two sets. We have one that looked like movie tickets, and then we have others uh, that's just a regular, our normal invite card. But they have actually changed, and it says uh, the Great Escape Regal Theater. All right? So, and don't forget, July the 10th is when we're going to be at uh, the movie theater. Really excited about that. By the way, who wants to go to a movie today. Anyone? First one down here. Come on now. I got a $20 gift card from Regal Cinemas. Oh, come on now. Sorry. <laughs> Let's give it up for Gary and Bill Bechtel. You guys are awesome. So, uh, man, thank you guys for serving and running. Uh, I can pretty much tell you, you burnt two calories. So, anyway, uh, well, uh, we are continuing our series entitled Bottom of the Ninth. Uh, and this, as you know, has a kind of a baseball feel. And the question we asked last week is this uh, Have you ever felt behind? Have you ever felt behind? And I think all of us unanimously said yes, that all of us have gotten behind either relationally or financially. Uh, we've all felt behind on our to-do list. We all have gotten behind before. And many times when we get behind, it just starts feeling overwhelming. It starts feeling like that we're never, ever going to turn this thing around. We're never, ever going to be able to just kind of get out of the situation that we're in. And uh, today, we're going to be continuing that entire theme, and we're going to be looking at this tension of what we think God should be doing and what he's actually doing. Um, of this tension of, you know what, I thought it was going to work out this way, and it didn't. And where was God during all of that? And again, I'm sure uh, all of us, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, if you believe the Bible or if you don't, all of us have went through these times where our faith, uh, our faith in God, faith in something, has crashed head in to life. And it leaves us asking these questions of why. Why, God? Why did you allow this? Why didn't you do something? If, God, if you're really there, how come you didn't change this around and turn this thing around? And we all live within this tension of what we think God should be doing and what he's actually doing, of what he could be doing. And I've, I've experienced that in my life. Where I felt like, okay, I've cried out to you, God. Uh, I've screamed at you, God. I've prayed. I've done all the things that I know what I need to do. And still, you seem silent. And it's during those questions that all of us, we have a tendency to ask <laughs> this why question. God, why didn't you do anything? God, if you wanted this marriage to last, then why? Why did he walk out? Why did she take the kids? Why, God, if you wanted me to be able to provide for my family, why didn't you allow me to keep the job? Or why didn't you allow me when I actually went to the job to actually get the job? Why didn't you allow me to get the promotion? 
God, why are we so wanted children and it's never happened? God, why? And what we're going to be looking at today is all of us, when we have these tendency to ask these why questions, it's normal. I get it. We cry out to God and we ask those why questions. But here's what we're going to be learning, at, learning today is that why questions, when we ask the why questions, why questions get us stuck. Why questions get us stuck because we really don't have any answer to those why questions. And if God did show up and actually answer the why questions, it wouldn't bring any closure. It wouldn't bring any healing. It would just lead to more why questions? Okay, God, then if, why was that person texting while driving? God, why, why did you allow my family just to be bust apart? And it may have been something that you've done. It may have been something that had nothing to do with done to you. But when we ask those why questions, why questions have a tendency to keep us from moving forward. And we get stuck and we're going to be looking at today a couple, actually a pastor and a pastor's wife today, that has struggled through some of these why questions. And what we're going to learn today is there's actually a better question to ask, quite, frank, quite frankly. And it's not just why. It's not why. It's who. 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 All right, if you have your Bibles today, go ahead and turn um, to a very difficult book to find. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, if you got your U version, your Bible app, it's going to be so much simpler, right? Because it's the book of Habakkuk. All right, now I know some of you, you know what Habakkuk is, and you know how to spell it. You know exactly where it's at. And may the Lord be with you, and his face shined up on you. But I'm telling you, for the 99% of us, we're like, uh, who? There's actually a book in the Bible entitled Habakkuk, H-A-B-A-K-K-U-K. All right, yes, Lord. Thanks for coming to One Church, right? And it is uh, a book in, found in the Old Testament, and it's, uh, it's a, he's a prophet, and he struggles with some of these why and who questions as well. And he, he wrestles with the tension of what God should be doing and what he's actually doing as well. In fact, this is very, very interesting, but the word Habakkuk literally means to wrestle. It means to wrestle, and we're going to see him wrestle with God through some of these very difficult questions. This guy has a lot of questions of God. In fact, Habakkuk starts off in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2, and the scripture is going to be up on the screen on you, verse. It says this. What's the very first word? Why. There it is right here. Why do I call for help, but God, you do not listen? Violence is everywhere I cry, but you do not come to save. Habakkuk starts out by asking God these very difficult questions. And some of you think, well, you know, it, it, obviously he must not be very spiritual. Because to be asking God questions, Habakkuk must not be real deep, committed believer like I am. Well, actually, Habakkuk was incredibly in love with God. He had a very rich faith. But he, like so many people, when you experience the bottom of the ninth moment, our faith crashes head on into difficult circumstances. And the thing that Habakkuk saw didn't line up with the things that Habakkuk believed. 
And it was a very difficult season of wrestling some of these tensions out. Habakkuk is asking God some questions. And we're going to see Habakkuk wrestle with God during his bottom of the night's moments. And I think Habakkuk's example really gives us some perspective for us all. So let's go back to verse 2. Why do I call out for help? But what does he say? For you do not listen. Exactly right. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. God, you see, you don't seem to care. God, I'm crying out to you, and you're not answering my prayer. Has anybody besides myself ever felt like that? Because I think all of us have been in those bottom of the ninth moments. God, you must not even care if you're even there at all. You aren't doing much when you could be doing something. And, and I feel like sometimes when I pray, when I talk to God, my prayers get right above my hairline. And, and it doesn't really go any farther than that. Why aren't you intervening, God? You know, we sing songs like the one that we sang today. For the Lord, he is able, he is faithful, higher than the mountains that I face. God is on the throne. We, we sang that song this morning. And yet some of us, we came in here, and it doesn't feel like that God is in charge. It doesn't feel like that God is on his throne. It doesn't feel like he's faithful. God, I believe that you're able to save me, but how come you're not? Why? Verse 3. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. As far as I can see, nothing is turning out fair, Habakkuk says. Habakkuk's problem with God is you don't seem to care. You could be doing something, but you're not doing something. And there's this tension. He's wrestling with the fact that, okay, God is in control, but it seems like God is doing nothing. In other words, Habakkuk is saying, if I were in your shoes, I would do things a lot differently. Again, I think all of us could raise our hands and say, we have all felt times like that. That, God, I don't like the way that you're doing things. Let me share with you a story of a couple by the name of Chris and Kim. Now, it's kind of interesting because that's my wife, Kim, and my name's Chris. But this is a different Chris and Kim. Chris and Kim uh, Trethaway, he is a pastor in Florida. And uh, I want to kind of share with you how they wrestled through some of these why and some of these who moments uh, with God during some very dark, difficult circumstances. Take a look at their story. About a year and a half into marriage, we kind of said, you know, we want to start trying to have kids, and we just thought it'd be a couple months, and we'd have, you know, two kids and a white picket fence, and our family would just be that easy, that perfect. So we went through about um, three and a half years of fertility treatments, and um, I will never forget the day we sat across from a doctor, and he looked at Chris and I and said, um, "We don't know why. We've done everything we can." Um, you're not going to be able to have kids. I remember that day was just like a, a, you know, a punch to the stomach going, this has been our life, our dream. How is that possible? We were given a, an amazing opportunity to adopt uh, two kids. 
Kiera had just uh, turned one the first time we I met her, and uh, her brother Caden was three months old, and he was born three and a half to four months premature, and so he was in the hospital at the time uh, when we first you know discovered this opportunity, and it was just this amazing just God just moment where we just believe that God was saying, here you go. Caden, he, uh, with his lungs being underdeveloped, he had a trach in. Doctors had said that he was doing great. Um, they had taken his oxygen intake down. He was um, eating real foods, um, drinking out of bottles. Um, he was doing really good. and It was just time. It yeah. was just, we just needed time for his lungs to develop more. Every day was an adventure. Um, but we never forgot to thank God truly for the fact that he did answer our prayers and, and give us the, the two kids that we've always prayed for. Probably about six, seven o'clock, his apnea monitor went off and, um, I remember we ran in. We found him, we found him in his crib and, um, he was trying to grasp for, for air and, uh, I think even before that, you saw him, and you could see the distress in his in his face, and we'd never seen that before. And so I quickly looked at Kim and said, "Go call 911." I remember we we're giving them CPR, and you just you just know, you just know it's not working. Air wasn't getting down to his chest. And I'll never lose that image in my mind of just knowing that there was nothing I could do. I begged God. I begged him for a miracle. I begged him to save his life. I sat there and I did everything I could to say, God, please. I've seen you work miracle after miracle after miracle in the lives of so many people. Tonight, I need you. Tonight, I need you to save my son, and I know that you can. I know you have the power to save him. Please, give me that one request. And it was silent. You know, when you listen to Chris and Kim's story, it, it just brings up a lot of questions. A lot of questions. God, are you there? God, uh, if, are you really good? If you can do something, why don't you do something? It leaves us with a lot of why questions. Why did Caden have to die? Why couldn't they get pregnant? Why? 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 But... What the book of Habakkuk teaches is that it's okay to question God. It is. That you and I are allowed to have questions. God doesn't punish us and punish Habakkuk for feeling that way. In fact, when you continue to read the Bible and look into the Scripture, when you read the book of Psalms, almost one-third of the Psalms, a very significant part, are these Psalms where David and other people are just asking God, God, why is this happening? And where are you? 
And why aren't you doing more? And why couldn't you? And all of these just big questions. What's going on? And I think so many people are afraid to bring very sincere questions to God. But I would argue that sometimes, and I think it's the very important wrestling and struggling of this out, of our faith journey, is being honest enough to bring God our questions. That God isn't afraid of our questions. That God welcomes our questions. It's, it's wrestling with them through these issues. Why me, God? Why, God, why didn't you? And you could just fill in the blank. Why didn't my marriage last? Why didn't the doctors catch it sooner? Why didn't the chemo work? Why did she leave me? Why? But as I'm saying, and as I said earlier, the danger of asking why questions is that many times it leads to a very dark, confusing, frustrated, lonely, disconnected place. It did for Habakkuk. In fact, in Habakkuk chapter 2, uh, excuse me, in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1, he kind of ends all of his questions and this is what he does. He says this, I will watch to see what he will say to me and what answer I will get from my complaint. If you could kind of picture Habakkuk's body language, he's up on the outskirts of the wall and he's doing this. He says, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait for God to show up. I'm going to wait for him to answer every single one of my questions. And we see in chapter 2 that God does show up. He does show up. But, but Habakkuk really didn't get all of his questions answered. Definitely his why questions. God, why injustice? He didn't get an answer to that question. God, why aren't you doing something? He didn't get an answer to that question. God, why do you tolerate wrong? He didn't get an answer to that one either. But what we're going to see in chapter 2 is that just God showing up in Habakkuk's bottom of the ninth moment was the answer. The God and his presence during his very difficult times of wrestling through this, of his why questions, it led to a dark, confusing, lonely, very disconnected place. But when Habakkuk starts looking at the who, when the who shows up, when God shows up, that makes all the difference. Here's our big idea today. Asking who, instead of asking why, will help you move forward and not get stuck. Let's say this together, can we? Asking who instead of why will help you move forward and not get stuck. Why questions tend to get us stuck in our bottom of the ninth moments. And think about it. Does why bring healing? Does why bring closure? Rarely. Why keeps us in the past and, keep, and blocks us from moving forward? Why keeps us stuck in the pain and chokes out any potential to heal or for hope? The better question we should ask when difficult times, when bottom of the ninth moments come our way, is who? Who is in charge? Who is in control? Who has all things in the palm of his hand? Who will make all things right? Who is restoring all things? When you get the who, the why isn't that important anymore. It wasn't for Habakkuk. And it wasn't for Chris and Kim Trethaway. Let's continue to listen to their story of their loss of their son, Caden. To this day, I'm not sure why God didn't answer my request. And I still wonder. 
Why not us? Why not our boy? But I'm not sure if there's really a reason God could give me. But what I do know is God hurts with us. And our loss is his loss. I remember just saying to God that this is what I'd always wanted. I had begged, I had cried, I had pleaded with God to just have kids call me mom. And I remember being mad. And I remember being confused and hurt and upset. And at the same time, there was still a nugget inside of me that said, God gave you this, and it's his to take away. It's not why, it's who. And just as you heard Kim say, there was still this nugget of hope. And it all led back to God that who is in charge and who is in control, who gave Caden to them, who makes all things right? Who restores all things? When you get the who right, the why, even though it's still a struggle, it doesn't matter as much. It didn't for Chris and Kim, we're going to find out, and it didn't for Habakkuk as well. He ends this short book in chapter 3 when he says this. This prayer was, and what is that next word? Uh, let's go back. This is Habakkuk 3.1. All right, I'll just read it. This prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. This prayer was sung by the, Habak- uh, by the prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk starts chapter 3 by singing. Up to this point, he's asked a lot of questions. He's fired off a lot of questions of his anger and his frustration to God. But when God shows up and Habakkuk discovers the who, Habakkuk starts to do what? He starts to sing. Now, let me read this verse from a different, another Bible translation. I'm going to encourage you, as you're getting into God's Word, if you, if you feel like you get stuck on a verse, go to a different translation. I, I want to introduce to you what uh, a new translation for some of you guys today. It's actually not really new, but it's probably new to you. It's called the Amplified Version, the Amplified Bible. And the Amplified Bible takes the original language and expounds on the definitions. In fact, as some of your versions say, this prayer was sung, that Hebrew word is shiginoth. Say that with me. Now, Will Smith had a really good song about this called Getting Shiggy With It. Okay? So, shiginoth means a wild, passionate, song with rapid changes of rhythm kind of like a will smith song or some of you if you if you're as old as i am dj jazzy jeff and the fresh prance okay so it's a wild passionate song with rapid changes of rhythm now i want to read this same verse uh, uh, this same verse uh, in, in verse 1 of chapter 3 from the Amplified Bible. And it takes the original word, shiginoth, getting shiggy with it, and inserts the definition. Look at what Habakkuk 3.1 says. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, set to wild, what's that next word? Enthusiastic and triumphal music. Getting shiggy with it. All right? Wild, enthusiastic, and triumphal music. Now, let me tell you the origin of the word enthusiasm. It's actually a Greek word, and it's a compound word, in theos. In means in, 
thank you very much. And theos means God. So when you say enthusiastic, it's where you're able to see God in your circumstances. I like that because Habakkuk can be enthusiastic not because he knows the answer to the why question. Habakkuk can be enthusiastic because he knows the answer to the who question. Because he sees the who. God working in this situation. And here's the question. What's changed? Has Habakkuk's circumstances changed? The answer is no. Habakkuk hasn't got all of his questions answered. He's still left with why questions and who and why and where and all of this stuff. His circumstances hasn't changed. He hasn't got any of his answers of his questions changed. He's still in the bottom ninth. And what's changed? And the answer, Habakkuk has changed. Habakkuk chose to worship God and to sing to God. He got, his perspective has changed because he has seen God in his circumstances. Habakkuk has chose not to focus on the unchanging, immovable, almighty, all-powerful God. He says, I'm going to focus on you instead of this. I'm going to focus on you who can change all things, and even though you're not changing things now, I trust in the who. I trust in the who. Now, I want to get back to Chris and Kim's story because four years after Chris and Kim uh, Trethaway faced the loss of Caden, they had an opportunity to spend a week at Blessing Ranch. <clears throat> Blessing Ranch is a place for people to experience healing because the reason why they need to experience healing, even though four years have elapsed, life had moved on, but for Chris, he was still stuck. Chris wasn't wrestling with the who. He was a preacher. He got it. What he couldn't quite grasp was the why. Why haunted his every thought? Chris says this, that week at the ranch saved my life, my marriage, my family, and my ministry. During this week, Chris was given three simple homework assignments. All three were letters that he was supposed to write. The first was a letter from him to his son, Caden. The second letter was by Chris and his wife from the point of view of what they thought Caden would say to them. And the third letter was a letter from Chris to God. Chris initially thought this homework was pointless. It was some type of psychotic mumbo-jumbo. Yet the experience brought overwhelming healing. Here's a part of the letter that Chris wrote to God that I want to read to you this morning. Chris says this, Heavenly Father, I'm not sure exactly where to start. What should be or needs to be said? I guess I ask that you will just guide my heart and my thoughts. First, I know that you are God. Your ways are perfect, flawless, and without fault. I am totally confident in that. I know that you have the ability to take circumstances that occur in life and to use them for your good. I guess that is why I find myself pulled in opposite directions. Because sometimes faith just doesn't make any sense. Anybody agree with that one? I know the stories in the Bible. Abraham and his son Isaac and that long walk up the mountain and Joseph being sold into slavery. But why Caden? Why my son? No, I don't blame you for his death. I know that you didn't cause it. But why didn't you save him? Why didn't you work a miracle? Why didn't you reach out and touch him? Why didn't you flick that plug out of his airway so that he could breathe? Why didn't you? 
I guess that's the question that can't be answered. But I wonder, if you gave me the answer, would it resolve the hurt I feel inside? Would it bring closure? Would the answer bring understanding? Would knowing draw me closer to you? Would comprehending the answer take away the longing to hold Caden again? I think the answer is simply no. Understanding the why would probably bring it with it another list of questions, hurts, and misunderstandings. Plus, no answer would ever help me understand the loss of my son. I guess I've resolved in myself that you are God, and I am not. You love me so very much, you hurt when I hurt. You experience loss when I experience loss. You grieve when I grieve. You totally understand the pain of losing a son. Okay. As I close, I have just one request. Could you wrap your big arms around Caden for me every morning and give him a hug for me? Could you whisper in his ear that I love him? Could you tuck him in at night for me? If you can do that for me, I have a peace inside knowing that he is okay because he is with you. Chris's letter is so deeply moving because it describes the wrestling with his faith in this awful loss of his son. When we are left without answers, it's God is all we have. God is our answer. He is the who. Just God's presence and knowing who gives us the umph to get unstuck out of our difficult moments. And yes, they still stink. And yes, we still have questions. But when we understand the who, knowing the who can get us through anything else. And while we may desire a cut and dried answer for our suffering, a 22-minute sitcom answer, Part of our healing is found not so much in getting the answer, but in asking the questions and wrestling with God. What we're talking about simply is just worship. Worship, worshiping the who. You do know that whatever you trust in is what we worship. Whatever you place your hope in is what we worship. When life falls apart, when everything just falls I mean, goes to mess, and we want to retreat inward, and we say, okay, I'm just going to trust myself. But that ends up worshiping ourselves, and it ends us, it ends with no power, no hope, and still stuck in the bottom of the ninth. But when we look at the who, and when life gets torn, and we don't have to sit passively, but we can move forward and worship him, that's what Habakkuk did. In fact, what, what he does in through all of verse in chapter 3, we don't have time to get He just starts to remember. He doesn't see God's faithfulness now, but he remembers God's faithfulness of when he used to be faithful. And this is kind of what he does. Going from verse 3 to verse 15 into Habakkuk chapter 3, Habakkuk goes through a very detailed explanation of remembering what God did. He talks about rescuing the Israelites from Egypt when he parted the Red Sea in verse 8. He remembered how God was with Moses in verse 4. He remembers how God rescued Noah in verses 9 and 10. Habakkuk remembered how God was with Joshua and stopped the sun in the middle of the sky in verse 11. Sometimes when God isn't moving in your life, we have to remember the times when he did move. 
We can worship God. We can reflect and remember his greatness. He is saying, God, I remember. Habakkuk is saying, I remember your miracles. I remember your power. I remember your glory. I remember, I I know that you can heal. I know that you can raise the dead. I know that nothing is impossible with you, even though right now, everything seems impossible. When we get the whys out of the way and we focus on the who, we can remember what God has done. We can look back and remember his faithfulness, his character, and the goodness of God. In fact, that's exactly what Habakkuk does, and he ends with two fantastic verses, verses 17 and 18. Listen to what Habakkuk says. He says this, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. Stop right there. Is Habakkuk describing a time where things are great or things are not great? Not great. I mean, you think about this. Everything is barren, it's empty, it's dying, you've got no fruit. He says in the midst of this, next verse, he says this. Yet I will do what? Rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful. What that word joyful means is to exalt and to dance and to spin before God. That I am going to see God in my circumstances, enthusiasm. Wild, enthusiastic, and triumphal worship. And that's what Habakkuk starts this chapter by singing. Some of you know what it's like to be in the bottom of the ninth. Some of you here know what it's like to see a marriage end, or a relationship end, or to lose a spouse, to lose a child, to lose everything. We look up and we ask God those tough questions. Who will I trust in? Who will I depend in? It's all about the who. And when we focus on the who, he gives us perspective. When we feel that our hands are suddenly empty and things that were so dear to us are now gone, let me tell you, empty hands can hold a lot of blessings if we will raise them up to him. Has God made your hands empty? Has, has, do you feel like he's taken something away or something was taken maybe god didn't do it but he he could have moved but he didn't empty hands can hold a lot of blessing if we will just raise them up to him when we finally call out to god from our emptiness he comes in and he sweeps in let's finish watching chris and kim's story and so there's this day and uh It was this warm, warm Vegas, 115 degree day. And I was sicker than a dog. I thought I had the flu, I thought I had something. My sister was here in town visiting and she said, Kim, you are pregnant. And I was like, okay, (laughs) you are a school teacher. I paid a man a lot of money who specializes in this and he said, there's no way. She said, can we just go get get a pregnancy test? So I grabbed one and lo and behold, I am pregnant. I kind of laughed the first time I held Claire, Mm -hmm. but it was kind of a laugh to say, God, I get it. You've just called us to follow you, not to make sense out of 
all this stuff going on, not to understand it. And so as I held Claire for the first time, blown away by just the miracle of birth, was just God saying, I'm with you. And thank you for following me. Thank you for walking by faith. Paul writes this way, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope, this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God, what? loves us. If you're in your bottom of the ninth right now, the one thing I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt is that God loves you. He loves you. He may be leading you through the valley of the shadow of death, but no, he has not called you to stay in the valley of the shadow of death. And so many times when we struggle through these why questions, man, the thing that we got to come to is the who. So here's how we're going to close this service today. There are some of you, last week I asked a question for you to write down an area of your life where you feel behind in. It may be relationally, it may be emotionally, it may be financially, it may be career-wise, it may be parenting, it may be whatever it is. And I asked you to bring those with you. Now, just in case you didn't, I have uh, provided some sticky notes, and what I'm going to ask you guys to do is I'm going to ask you to come forward as the band comes out, and I want you to write down some of these areas that you're behind in, and I just want you to stick them on top of the black part of the stage. No one's going to know what you wrote. Uh, We don't have cameras zooming in going, oh, that's what you said. I'm not going to do that. All right. Here's what I know. All of us got some junk. All of us struggle with some stuff. We all struggle through asking God, why did you allow this to happen? In fact, while I was preaching, while one of the videos were going, Luther came out and says, did you hear what happened in Orlando last night? I'm like, I don't. And evidently, um, uh, a a Muslim extremist came in and shot up a a, a gay bar and ended up killing 50 uh, people in there and 53 injured. And when we see something like that happens, we we naturally go to the why. I get it. No one should deserve anything like that. No one deserves losing their life like that. But the thing that we have to remind ourselves is even through all of these questions, who is still on the throne? Who is still on the throne? You know, we'll get ready to sing a song that I really, really like. We've already sung it today. It's called Fierce. And if you wouldn't mind, I just, can you put the course, the words of the course up on the screen? Because I want you to be able to read what you're getting ready to sing. As you're coming down and as you're writing some of those areas that you're behind in. So many times when we think of God, we think of him as so meek and so mild. And we always see the pictures of Jesus holding this lamb. And he's like Mr. Rogers. It's like he wouldn't hurt anyone. But the thing that I love about this song reminds us is, yes, even though God is meek and mighty and humble, he is also called the Lion of Judah. 
He has power. And his love isn't just going to tiptoe into your life. This is what the verse says. Like a hurricane that I cannot escape. You ever see those pictures of hurricanes? Of Hurricane Katrina and Andrew and all of these things. It's just tearing through. Like a hurricane that I can't escape. Like a tidal wave crashing over me. Rushing in to meet me here. Your love is fierce. And know this, that you and I serve a God who, he may tiptoe into your life, he may use hurricanes and tidal waves to get your attention as well. He will do anything and everything he has to do to get your attention so that you will know that he loves you. In fact, the bridge of this, if you could just, wouldn't mind going to the bridge, it says this, um, I can't even remember the words, but forgive me. You sit, you chase me down, you seek me out. How could I be lost when you have called me found? You chase me down, you seek me out. That's not God going, oh, hope you show up today. That's God going, I don't care what mess you're in, I still love you and I'm still coming after you and I long to have a relationship with you because I am Jesus. I am the Lion of Judah and I long to have a relationship with you no matter what your circumstance tells you. No matter what your circumstance says, where is God and why and all of this stuff, the who is Jesus. So right now, I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. If you would come down front as the band sings this song, I want you to write down on that post-it note an area that you feel behind in, and I just want you to stick it up on the stage. Let's do that now. Rushing in to meet me here Your love is 
take me out How could I be lost when you have caught me down You chase me down You seek me out How could I be lost when you have caught me down Like a tidal wave Crashing over me Rushing in to meet me here Your love is fierce Like a hurricane That I can't escape Tearing through the atmosphere 